Welcome to The Breadwinners. I'm Jennifer Owens. I'm Rachel Ellison. So this is the show where we talk about everything work and family and where every day can be a holiday if you're only working four hours a week. <laughs> which only, uh, you know, that leaves you plenty of time to follow us on our socials, which are, mm-hmm. which are across them all at, at The Breadwinners. Please send questions and comments our way. Seriously, we're everywhere, and uh, we love it if you'd support us by suggesting us to your favorite breadwinners, because honestly, that's the best way to support our podcast is to help us grow. Absolutely. And uh, while you're on your your vacation, you can wear our merch, our fantastic t-shirts and sweatshirts, and we've got all the merch. I am not wearing one right now, but I was wearing one yesterday. Wearing mine today. Where I wore it in honor of you. Oh, thanks. So please check out our merch and we'd love to see pictures of you in. Oh my God. I was just thinking, see, we're, we're just so on same. Sl- I was just thinking we need some fresh pictures of us and all of us, all of us breadwinners wearing some breadwinners merch. Yeah. Okay. I like it. We're on it. So how's your breadwinning going? Oh, you know, winning the bread, got a fresh loaf of bread in the other room. Oh, very nice. I love it. <laughs> I hope it's I hope that that was, you know, a metaphor and that's actually a big not. steaming pile of cash. <laughs> it was not. There's literally a friend brought me a nice loaf of bread yesterday. It was very nice. Oh, that is very nice. Yeah. I have a lovely uh person who used to be on my team at a previous job who not only made me a lovely loaf of bread, but put it in a lovely loaf of bread, like bag. And I I love the bag so much. <laughs> oh, nice. The bag stayed with me. So there you go. Should we make this the bread podcast? We'll just top <laughs> talk about bread. If we're just talking about bread. So Anyways, well, this week we are rocketing fast into something, you know, we all know about bread winning and bread winning. And so uh, this week it's the work week and it's the four hour work week. And so I'm going to hit you up. What do you know about the four hour work week? I know that it's a book. I'm holding it right here. Can you sense that I'm holding the book I right here? I sense that you're holding it. <laughs> I know that it's a sensation. And that's about all I know about the four hour work week. Here is how little I knew about it before doing the research today. I thought it was the four hour work day. (laughs) All right. Yeah. But you know, it is, you're right. It's the four hour work week and it is based on a book and it's called hold, hold on your chair, chair. It's the four hour work week, colon, escape the nine to five, Live Anywhere and Join the New Rich, written by Tim Ferriss. Oh. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, uh, you know, it's a lot. He has big plans for us with this four-hour work week. So, you know, he is described on the book jacket as a serial entrepreneur. So, you know, really, I love him. And so I'm going to talk us through a little bit about the book itself, also about what he's talking about and how he's talking about it. And then a little bit about him because he's a very interesting character to it. Do you know much? Well, we'll get into Tim Ferriss a a little later. So our story begins in the aughts as in March, 2007. And that was another dot-com boom. I was there for the first dot-com boom, but we remember that dot-com boom because no one ever learns their lesson. You got to 
boom and bust all the time. So he went to South by Southwest, the totally hipster conference. Have you ever been to South by Southwest? I have not. Me neither. Have you ever wanted to go? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, I know. Me too. Like I, I've always wanted to go. But uh, anyways, he was there in 2007 and he was telling a room of like super stressed, you know, caffeinated, you know, you know, drinking Soylent Green or it was Soylent. It's not Soylent Green is people. Soylent was the, do you remember they made that drinking stuff? I don't know if it still exists. Like you never leave your desk. You just drink this stuff. So a bunch of engineers, he was telling them that their professional lives were unstable and unsustainable and that they should consider doing something more interesting with their time. Okay. And, and so, you know, he is, he's come from the future to tell them what you're doing is awful. And uh, if we remember, this is the time of bring your dog to work. We have the cafeteria. We have, you know, the kitchens and you, you dry cleaning and hair salon. You never have to leave the office. Come in work 24 seven. If you sleep under your desk, you know, you're wow. Aren't you great? So his book hadn't come out yet. And he was a last minute book for the event because someone else had canceled. And, um, he knew that he was talking about something that was completely contrarian to everything that South by Southwest was all about at the time. But he thought, you know, if it works great, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, which is truly my new mantra. I mean, Hey, if it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, I mean, what are they going to do? You know, throw rocks at him? I don't know. But his talk resonates with the packed room, like almost instantly. And word of mouth from that event was the seed that led to book sales and more book sales. And he worked super hard. And he is still a master of self-promotion, which we all should be. And he has thus sold millions and millions of this book. And it stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for seven years. Wow. And that is the end of my story. This is a very short episode and all's well that ends well. (laughs) Oh, cracking myself up. I think, though, that this is a great moment to take an ad break. And then we'll come back and I'm going to tell you about Tim Ferriss. Cool. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Hello. Hello. So we're talking about the four-hour work week. And we're going to go back now because, you know, now his book has become has sold millions. And we're going to ask who in the world is this guy and why he was 29 at the time. Why was he talking about four-hour work weeks? And specifically, 
why would anyone care that this random 29-year-old would say this to you? So do you know anything about Tim Ferriss? Because he's he's kind of a, a legend in certain quarters. No, I don't. Oh, interesting. Because that was the same too, because you hear certain people talk about him, you know, because they follow everything he does. And then I'm like, I, I don't know who, I think I completely missed this. I think I was too busy having kids when all this was happening. <laughs> so. Okay, so here's his quick backstory. Okay, so he was born in East Hampton, 1977. In his sophomore year, he got himself, um, his family, he got scholarships. They, you know, they worked to get him into an elite boarding school in New Hampshire. And he finagled travel year abroad in Japan. I find this all wonderful as someone who has a child that is doing travel abroad for the first time. Yeah. Desperately wanted to go to Japan. Also, my daughter will be taking Japanese next year. I, I kind of love it. You're like, I totally get this guy. So he attended Princeton and he majored in East Asian studies. And he also struggled with bipolar depression. Mm-hmm. And so I love it. I, I mean, I, I don't love that for him, but I just love he seems very real. Like, you know, he's dealing with all this stuff. So after graduation, he jumps into the tech boom. And he launches a company called Brain Quicken, which was an athletic supplement company. And he gets invited back to Princeton to talk for an MBA class. I think it's an MBA class. Anyway, it's a business class. And the speech he does is called Drug Dealing for Fun and Profit, which is hilarious. And so he's, you know, he kind of t- he's coming back as a startup guy and look at me, I graduated and I started my own company and all that sort of stuff. Which as we remember, this is this must be the era where you still graduated and did your startup as opposed to dropping out of Stanford and starting Facebook or you right. know that, that whole thing. So he becomes the kickboxing champion of the world in 1999, not by practicing, no, no, but by researching the sports rules, uncovering a technicality that states that contestants who step out of the fighting ring three times are disqualified. So he uses that knowledge to figure out a way to wriggle his body in such a way to get his opponents to step out to do that. And so he he uses the rules against his opponents and wins. And so he's not much loved in the sport, but he in 1999, he is the winner of the sport. So, okay. So by 2004, his business has stalled and his personal life has hit some bumps and he took time off to travel and he found this is going to be the aha moment for him that without micromanaging his company all the time and by cutting his work down to just his best customers, his company started to thrive. Mm. And so he was discovering, you know, the the general, like what they always, the 80, 20 rule, you know, like 20% of the the kids in a classroom will require 80% of your time or, Mm -hmm. or at work with your employees and stuff. So he began compiling the lessons around efficiency and planning that he had learned from both his, his own struggles and that, of course, turns into the book. And then he goes around, tries to sell his book. He gets countless rejections. And he finally finds, you know, a publisher to take the book. And no one expects it to do much. But so to improve his odds, he works to get his book into the hands of tech influencers. And he, you know, their endorsements help build hype. The book blows up. He's everywhere. And he takes his 
his earnings from the book and invests in tech startups. And he expands his own four-hour view into a franchise. So there are variations. So now he has like four-hour body, the four-hour chef, tests the ideas on himself. Um, He has a short-lived TV show. In 2014, he launched a podcast called The Tim Ferriss Show, which is very, very popular. You know, just like us, has generated more than 200 million downloads. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, hardworking guy dealing with professional and personal work and needs and problems and successes and all that sort of stuff, but worked really hard and came up with it. So that's who Tim Ferriss is. There's also a moment where he wins like some major tango competition too, because he only works four hours a week. So he has a lot of free time. So are you ready to learn how to work four hours a week? I'm, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. I know, me too. So I've read the book and uh, did a lot of research around this. So let me just say it took me a lot more than four hours to read it, even though he has a whole section on speed reading to try to help you get through stuff faster. Took me a long time. And I'm not sure why it took me. I mean, it's not fun. You know, it's not. I'm reading an awesome book about an 89 year old protagonist who takes matters into her own hands out of Sweden. Love that book called The Elderly Lady Should Not Be Crossed. Totally read that book. It's so much fun. I love it. I want to be 89 year old lady making taking care of business. But I don't know. It took me a really long time to read this book, but so the book continues to sell, but it's driven a lot more by productivity than it's in hacks. You know, like he has a lot of things about how to, he's big into virtual assistants. He's big into remote work. His, but his overall message was we need to rethink work. We need to think about flexible work. And he spends a lot of time talking about, it's so funny now, talking about how to get your flexible work plan through to your boss. You know, and it's like he's, he gives you scenarios on how to ask for it, how to pilot it. And his basic premise is a work remote, get a virtual assistant and don't micromanage. Give your assistant and the teams and the vendors and the whatnot, the authority and the guardrails to make decisions on their own, which I am all for. I mm-hmm. I should have been able to read this book faster because I do agree with all that. But then his last point is my old compatriot, Lucy Knight, always said, teach him to go on the paper, meaning that he sets up firm times that you will work and answer emails and don't break your own rules. So I'm going to give you a big quote that he says about that. But he's essentially saying, teach them to go on the paper. So here it comes to you. Just because something has been a lot of work or consumed a lot of time doesn't make it productive or worthwhile. But you don't understand my situation. It's complicated. But is it really? Don't confuse the complex with the difficult. Most situations are simple. Many are just emotionally difficult to act upon. The problem and the solution are not are usually obvious and simple. It's not that you don't know what to do. Of course you do. You're just terrified that you might end up worse than you are right now. I'll tell you right now, if you're at this point, you won't be worse off. Revisit fear setting and cut the cord. I mean, he does do a lot of come to Jesus moments for people. Yeah, he does. He says life should be enjoyed. He's not about, and he's not against fibbing to make it happen. I'm going to give you that one in a second, but what do you think? I mean, he's basically saying, you know, 
if you want to make a change, make a change. Yeah. Yeah. No, he is. What do I think about it? Yeah. Fear setting. I'm, I'm sort of stuck on that phrase, fear setting. But, you know, I mean, I think, I think that that's great, you know. <laughs> I think this is what slowed me down in the book so much because that's great, but <laughs> yes, <I> ma'am. Mean, <laughs> like, all right, it's great, yeah. but it's, you know, it's sort of a Tony Robbins approach to things. You can make it happen. You can yeah. do it. Yeah. Well, um, okay, so... He does have people talking. He through the book, he'll have people tell their stories a little bit. This is my favorite one. There are some really good ones. This one's a little over the top. I admittedly so. But okay, here it comes to you. I spent four months prior to departure being sure to never be at my cube, but always just be around the corner. I made a point to always be available on instant messenger. So when people could would walk over to my cube and look for me in person, they would see I was somewhere else and then hop online and ask, Where are you? <laughs> the response was always similar, just down the hall in the cafeteria, just down the block at a coffee shop, or at a coworker ex's desk. After two months of this, after two months of this, a magical thing happened. People always looked to get me via instant messenger and stopped dropping by my by my cube altogether. That allowed me to be six thousand miles away without anyone noticing. <laughs> All right. I mean, <laughs> I mean what? <laughs> what? I mean, what? <laughs> okay. I love this. I also, can you even imagine? Nope. And, you know, the core of FaceTime should not matter. You know, when talking a lot about it during my working mother days was about, you know, the, this premium on FaceTime. Now, mm -hmm. what's funny is that I am now working. I work fully remote. It's up to me to go into the office. I am now, I am going in the office one day a week. Kind of love it. I have a, a group of peers that, that we get together and have lunch together. And I, I just, I miss that. And I, uh, and, and a lot of my calls are remote and yet still I'm enjoying going in one day a week. Okay. But so it's a whole new world from when he wrote this book in, in the early aughts, but what? <laughs> I just yeah. think if my boss at like say working mother Carol Evans was like, where are you? I think I'd she'd want to know I was six thousand miles away. And she pioneered flexible work. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So what do you do if they're like, Well, we need you in for this meeting? Are is this guy never in me or man or woman ever in meetings? I, I don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just what? <laughs> it's a little what? It's a little what? So I don't know. So his thing is that you can't. So he as an entrepreneur and he's talking, you know, like this, he's as an entrepreneur, what he's saying is he sets up, he has tiers of virtual assistants. And it's so funny because he's like, oh, my gosh, you could do all this stuff, it, which was all brand new, like 15 years ago. Totally. Yeah. So, but, you know, he's saying, what I love is he says to the, the assistant, like, here's a cash number if, or to his salespeople selling the supplements and all this sort of stuff. If making a customer happy costs less than X amount of dollars, go ahead and do it. You know, like mm -hmm. we don't want to spend all day 
trying to make our customer happy when you giving him like a refund or whatever, it, it just makes it happen. It just, yeah. and you give these people autonomy to be great at their jobs. And so I'm all for that. Yeah. And then he has things where he has these whole scripts because he, it to his credit, he's very transparent about how he's talking to his assistants. Like, hey, when I say call me with the answer, I mean, call me because I'm probably somewhere that doesn't have Wi-Fi. Because again, this uh-huh. is 15 years ago. You know, like he, right, he, right. he's showing all the, this sort of stuff, but I don't know. And then one of the things, oh my God, one of the things he does talk about, because I don't believe he has kids when he's writing this book. I don't know that he has kids now, but he doesn't have kids. But he's like, no, you could totally do this with, you know, as an entrepreneurial person working for someone else, pitch this as a thing or pitch it as a part-time thing. And your cost of living goes down because you're in bleeds or something. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the cost, your expenses to your revenue, it, it balances out. Okay. You got me on all that. When he talks about now you, you're a parent and you're a working parent, one of his answers is homeschooling. Interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. I think a lot of us have comments on on that in remote learning now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. I, I all right. Homeschooling. This is sort of doing my head in a little bit. Yeah. I also, you know, having gone through that, a no to the homes. Not for us, remote learning. And homeschooling in terms of, you know, like I have friends who've done homeschooling where they're part of a network. You know, they do field trips together and they, you know, it's it's not just remote learning. He's really talking about remote learning, right? Right. You know, that you could pick up and go live. Because what he's, uh, one of his points that he makes is a lot of us, because we only get, you know, if we're blessed to have some paid time off, we'll go binge travel. Like we're going to go, you know, we save up all our money. We're going to go to Italy and we're going to go to five cities. And what he says, he likes to call them mini retirements. So you pick up and you go four months and live in Italy or four months and go live somewhere else. And you learn the language, be part of the culture. And uh, funny, because now it's uh, with Airbnb and we do like, it's funny, technology is kind of caught up with what he was advocating for. So you know, go these places, travel, write a book, learn a language. That's what he does. He just, he gets up and he goes. And he also says, you know, homeschooling with your abundant free time. So yeah. All right. I really, I mean, I just, I think I have real issues. I, I, you can hear, I start to get like, I think travel for kids, I think living in other cultures, awesome. It's yeah. not for my family. It's it's just not. I, I just, having uncertainty and change, you know, with family structures as a kid, I've swung the pendulum to be, we live in the same place. You go to the same, you know, we're just stable all the way. Right. But I do see the the awesomeness of it, but I don't know. I just desperately wanted my social world and my friends when I was that age. So I- Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If you could, do you think you would get up and like move to another? Like if some is like, hey, here's a job, go live in Bruges for a year. Yeah. I mean, it's totally logistically impossible for me right now, but like, yes, I would. Would you really? Good for yeah. you, man. I I lived as a kid, I lived abroad with my family when I was eleven. Really? Oh, it okay. Was, yeah. It was an intense experience and 
Eleven is an interesting age, right? You're yeah. you still have like you know you have a social world, but it's a fluid social world. Maybe did you have like a best pal who was there with me? No, did you have a best pal like at home that you were yeah. kind of leaving? Yeah. yeah, it was very cute. They made me my best pal made me uh, like a recording, a tape recording that she sent oh. of people saying hi to me from school. But yeah, no, it was. It was an amazing experience. I I just feel like it's a gift if someone if you're able to have that pull it off. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I don't think I could ever do it, but I definitely think it's worthwhile to do for sure. Yeah, that's. It. I mean, yeah, it's like it, it's just not for us at this yeah, point. And it. instead, you know, it's like okay, well, I'll send my kid off to go to you know study art history in Italy. This is going to be exciting and expensive. That's why we're winning bread. So anywho, so he, but he, that's what his, and his thing is that you would do it and have abundant free time together while you did it, you know? And, and he's right. You can certainly, if you can take your set, that's, isn't that the dream? You get the job in New York and then you move to a cheaper place Mm -hmm. and you keep the salary, right? Totally. So that story about the guy who just kind of slips away, what they call the Irish goodbye, they just slip out of the room. So it's unfair to just say that's the only story. There are a lot of really great stories and people talking about their, like this particular hack worked for me. But what has become of his brand in those many years is that that whole like reworking work, because it starts from this kernel that says, why are we answering all these emails? Why is everyone being CC'd on this? Why are we in, sitting in these meetings? Is this meeting productive? And just constantly being hardcore about, you know how they always say you should have an agenda for every call and every yeah. meeting. Do you do that? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of try, you know, or obviously I don't because I'm starting to mumble at that point when I'm like, uh. so. But his brand has kind of been, it's, you know, it's been reduced. It's, you know, he, I'm sure he's very successful, but it's kind of turned into the hack, the productivity hack thing. Mm-hmm. And so in 2019, Forbes called his four hour advice, quote, everything wrong with the modern world. Because it can, I know, right? I mean, that's kind of bold, but because it contributes to the idea that people's success is about, quote, figuring out how to most attractively package their shortcuts and fake outs more than actual accomplishment. And so I'm sending you this quote from Tim. The four-hour work week is based on the title, understandably, often misunderstood. The objective was to provide a toolkit for maximizing per hour output. output. It's not necessarily about working four hours a week. You could choose two hours a week, one hour a week, or 80 hours a week. But the reason that book found such a toehold in Silicon Valley is because it was focused on evaluating different currencies, money, time, mobility, and how you can pull levers to change these variables to maximize per hour output. That toolkit was very much time and income focused. Right? I mean, you know, and so they immediately, I don't know if people, I don't know, his rallying cry was time is valuable too. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. And he's right. Yeah. It's just all our time right now still goes to small children. (laughs) Right. For us, you know. So I feel like I I don't fault him. I love him being out there and saying this and and being a young guy and saying, being a young white guy and saying this because Mm -hmm. 
they're not typically the rallying cry leaders for these that kind of like remake the workplace. But, you know, it's I like what he's trying to say. And don't we all read the book and look for the one tip you can get? I mean, that that's on us. You know, he he wrote like hundreds of pages. And then I'm like, oh, that one tip, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. And then he made it, he's built a business on it. So, you know, he has not reworked the workplace doing this because capitalism. But, and then tie that to the fact that, you know, at the beginning of the, the pandemic, you and I would talk about that. Like, we hope that some of this stuff has a lasting impact on the workplace. And maybe it will, but then you see all these businesses rushing people back into the office. Now, I don't know what it's going to take to really crack the workplace. Yeah. So it just, you know, another voice, another voice, another voice. Like how many voices do you need to say that giving people autonomy and flexibility, highly productive. It just always, and happier and whatever. So what is up with Tim today? He is, his most recent book is Tribe of Mentors and Tools of Titans. Love it. Mm-hmm. He is, which crowdsources wisdom and advice from the experts he features on his podcast. Love it. Love repurposing your content. Very smart. He's also become an ardent backer of research into the therapeutic benefits of psychedelics. He's raised funds for the Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research at Johns Hopkins and for the Center for Psychedelic Research at Imperial College London. He has donated, since 2016, has donated at least $2 million for clinical research into psychedelic drugs. Love it. You know, like I, I love like looking at new ways to deal with depression and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. During the height of the pandemic, he also revealed that he's been experiencing flashbacks and revealed that from the age of two to four, he was sexually abused by a 12-year-old son of his babysitter. Wow. So he's, you know, he's dealing with stuff and talking about stuff and just keep moving forward, man. And he's working now on how to get comfortable with yourself. In a 2020 interview with GQ, he said, not everything that is meaningful can be measured. Okay. Right? Interesting. That said, I've been wearing a tracker recently, and I love what I see about my sleep, and I, it really influences me. So I, I don't know, but he's right. I mean, how are you going to track, you know, how you're feeling, the repressed memory? Like, you're not going to track that sort of stuff. But I thought I'd give him the last word. So here he comes to you. Okay. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter how effective or efficient you are. It doesn't matter what types of fancy toys you collect. Doesn't matter how hot your significant other is. If your inner world, your internal monologue or dialogue is that of anger or despair or frustration or sadness the majority of the time. Almost none of these other things matter very much. You can't wield money or time effectively. You can't deepen relationships, repair relationships, de-escalate instead of escalate conflict unless you have a certain degree of self-awareness, emotional resilience, and emotional acceptance. That only comes, in my experience, through transcendental, transformative blocks of time, touching the timeless, in a sense, where the ego is dissolved, or because I don't think those are necessary or recommended for all people, using a toolkit to cultivate that. Without a baseline of psycho-emotional health, all of that is for naught. Okay. I kind of love him. I just think he's constantly trying to grow. And I think he's, you know, part of his four-hour work week is to say, spend time with yourself. Yeah. And that, you know, 
it's very easy to fill your day. And I, I do think of him in that regard, like, you know, answering emails, because look at me, aren't am I not? He calls it work for work's sake, W for W. Like, am I just W for Wing it? I think he's right. <laughs> so, All right. I'm kind of a fan. I, you know, I, I think if you want to just pick up his hacks, that's on you. You know, he he's thinking bigger thoughts. Got it. Cool. So, yeah. So with all your abundant free time now, you know, everyone can check out our socials. And that's uh, that's it. And, you know, what should we do uh, with our abundant free time? We should keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.